Welcome to the second hour equip. Second hour equip. Hope you enjoyed the message this morning. Sure glad you're here. Um, go ahead and take your Bibles. We're going to need those for just a little bit here up front. Uh, if you have the um, curriculum with you, of course, you might need a pen. There'll be some fill in the blank answers that we'll go over. But. Um, Yeah, go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. I'm going to ask for your forgiveness in advance for working this slideshow. I was proud of myself for having put one together, but working it will prove to be a chore. But, Lord willing, we will get through it. You know, I'm not sure what kind of textbooks you had growing up, particularly in high school. But in high school, our math textbooks, if you flip to the back of the book, all of the odd number questions had all of the answers in the back. They wouldn't do the work for you, but all the answers were there. And so I'm going to steal from that idea this morning. We're just going to go straight for the answer this morning, okay? Over the next 45 minutes, we're going to discuss, of course, as you know, much about parenting. But here is the answer, the overarching application to all of that we will discuss today. Are you ready? Trust God. Trust God. In Genesis chapter 25, if you have your Bible, 25, let's look at verse 23. Starting in verse 23. This is, of course, the account of Isaac and Rebekah becoming pregnant. Isaac and Rebekah are without child, so they pray. And the Lord answered them. Rebekah conceived. And then, verse 23, the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now then, jump down to verses 27 and verses 28. So the Lord has spoken specifically to Rebekah about the two sons, the twins in her womb and why they're fighting. Verses 27 and 28, when the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, But Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, you would think that based on um, Isaac's experience with God, particularly in Genesis chapter 22 with God's miraculous provision when Abraham took Isaac up the mountain to be the sacrifice. You would think in the back of Isaac's mind, he would remember how God is faithful to his promises and his miraculous ability to provide in challenging situations. But notice here, which child is favored in verses 27 and 28? Who does it say that Isaac favored? Which of the two children? Esau. That's correct. And why does he favor Esau? (laughs) Because he can cook a good steak, right? Yeah. He seems to disregard the promise of the Lord, the prophecy of which the older shall serve the younger, and it shows that despite Rebekah loving Jacob, Isaac favored Esau. And Isaac's proclivity towards Esau comes directly from his confusing priorities and parenting apart from God's direction. I hope that sounds familiar. Isaac's proclivity towards Esau comes from him confusing his priorities and parenting apart from the Lord's direction. Rather than trusting God, that overarching takeaway we're going to have today, rather than trusting God to be faithful amidst challenging family dynamics, he chose children for his own purposes. Let's pray before we get started. Well, Father, we come to you grateful first that you hear us, that you've given us this day. This is the day that you've made, and we rejoice in it, and we come uh, as those redeemed 
by the grace of your Son and his shed blood. And we come eager looking to this curriculum, to this workbook, Lord, that to a very great extent reflects your word. Thank you for wise men who have put this together for us to study that we might steward our responsibility as parents wisely, that we would take this responsibility seriously and apply all of things that you teach us through your word. And we ask your blessing on this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to begin by quickly reviewing where we have been. Reviewing where we have been. So we've had two lessons so far. Our first lesson was the parents' priorities. The parents' priorities. Successful biblical parenting recognizes a hierarchy of priorities. And that first commitment, what was the the highest level in our parenting? What was the highest level commitment that we have in our parenting? Does anyone remember? To the Lord. That's right. Thanks, Italo. Our first priority is to be faithful to the Lord, submit to his will, and to his plan for parenting. The next priority underneath our commitment to the Lord was to our spouse, to our one flesh union. Underneath that was the commitment to our family, and this is where we would include our children. And as important as a stewardship as it is that we have to our children, we recognize that it's a tertiary responsibility. We have two priorities greater than our children in the Christian life. However, there's also another commitment, and that commitment is to others. And these responsibilities that we have to our children takes precedent over our commitments to others. But however, we have these commitments nonetheless. So to the Lord, to our spouse, to our children and our family extended, and then to others. That was the first lesson. The second lesson we learned, the parents' goals. And the goal was based on two things. The first thing that the goal was based on was God's view of man. Biblical parenting recognizes and formulates its goal in raising children, understanding man's dignity as an image bearer of God, but also in light of man's fallen nature. The second thing that we formulate our goals and pursue our goals in regards to parenting would be based upon God's direction or his plans that he gives us. Biblical parenting is not arbitrary. We have a game plan that's found in scripture. And we learned a primary scripture that we looked at last week. I'd be curious, does anyone remember what the primary scripture that drew drew our attention to for the goal of parenting? There we go. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And we focused on, for a little bit, the difference between discipline and instruction and the active sense of bringing them up. But today we continue our study. We're in the third lesson of biblical parenting. And today we are going to discuss... Lesson three, the parents' challenges. Challenges. Challenges in parenting? Is that a thing? Do any of you experience challenges in your parenting? I do. I certainly do. You know, when friends of mine become pregnant, usually with their first child, it takes me back to when uh, my wife Kara was pregnant with our first child, Harper. And it reminds me of where my mindset was and how smoothly I pictured everything was going to go. How disciplined my child at this time, one, Harper was going to be, how responsible, how well behaved, and even how discipled she was going to be. I mean, I had like plaid skirts, fringe socks, and button-up polos pictured like five days a week, okay? But... Have you ever noticed with the Pampers or the Huggies commercials that's always showing the children after they fresh out of a bath, their their hair's combed, the lotion's put on, they're playing in a room that's picked up and organized, everything looks so sweet. But I've never seen the commercial where the child first wakes up, is bawling, crying, 
The blue line on the front of the diaper is faded because it's so full, and I've never seen the commercial with, of course, the infamous blowout, right? Well, the same can be true of parenting if we're not careful. Our ideas, in our mind's eyes, we envision successful parenting as the days when the toys don't get scattered, when the blowouts don't happen when you're walking into the grocery store, or the back talk doesn't happen. When in reality, it's much more common that mentally our blue line is constantly faded and we're constantly being tempted to emotional blowouts. You see, there are certain challenges that parents face in pursuing this directive of Ephesians 6.4 to bring our children up in the fear and instruction of the Lord. And we're going to discuss three particular challenges today. Three particular challenges. They're described as general guidelines for parents that we should keep in mind as we try to flesh out Ephesians 6.4. And our first challenge will be keeping the right motivation. Keeping the right motivation. There is a very real tendency in parenting to become solely focused on outcomes. You know, the room is picked up. Maybe the curriculum for that day gets completed or manners are observed at the dinner table. But faithful parenting tries to avoid being motivated purely on the basis of practical outcomes. You know, we typically think if we can achieve the end, if we can get the room picked up or if we can get the kids to play nicely with one another, does the means really matter? Does it matter how we arrive at the end if the end is admirable? Well, to that, we take our attention to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but it's when God spoke to Moses and Aaron at Meribah, and he told them to provide the people with water. And if you remember, there was a stone there. The Lord said, take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes that it may yield its water. Moses, if you continue reading, he gets the water for the people. He achieves the end that he was after. But he was judged by God for the means that he used in achieving that end. How did, does anyone remember how Moses got the water out of the rock in Numbers chapter 20? He hit the rock. He struck the rock. That's exactly right. The means which he used was not that which the Lord had directed. You see, the means or the process is just as important, if not more important, than the results that we achieve. God is concerned whether, I'm sorry, he is not concerned whether the methodology is quote-unquote working, okay? God considers the heart attitudes of both the children and the parents to be spiritual issues being fought on a spiritual battlefield. We see that in places like 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. God desires that parents be faithful to the process as he is outlined in scripture and his process includes having the right motivation the right motivation what is your motivation as you think of how you parent and raise your children up in the fear and instruction of the Lord what is your motivation can you say that you have the right motivation you see parents must distinguish between following right and wrong motivations and so our first motivation would be pleasing God versus pleasing self. A parent's motive in all things must be the glory of God. We learned that with the chief end of man. This is a higher, this pursuing the glory of God, this is a higher motivation than our personal happiness. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, which parenting is included in much of what many of us, the whatever we're doing, we could throw parenting in there. 
do it all for the glory of God. And this means that we cannot see children purely as a gift from God for our own personal happiness because ultimately, who do our children belong to? The Lord. They belong to God. What this means is that when a child disobeys, when a child disobeys, the real problem is not that our happiness gets disrupted. Discipline and instruction from selfish motivations will not produce a God-blessed change. Sometimes, as parents, some of you are empty nesters, but I'm sure you could remember when your children were at home. Sometimes, if we're honest, we can view training up our children as an inconvenience. And that's difficult to say, but it, it can be true. Christian parents don't always admit to saying things like this, but we can think in our mind, I don't deserve this. I have a right to a problem-free child. Or I expect my child never to pick on his little brother, to leave a mess in their room, to get low grades in school. But really, this can be our thinking. When our child does something that hinders what the parent is doing. You know, you're on the last series of your Netflix binge and they come in with that third request for snacks. I mean, what are we really getting upset with there? We're getting upset that our own happiness is being disrupted. But as long as we are sinners, there will be problems. And as long as there are problems, things will not go as smoothly as they could. Sinful parents have sinful children and we're all living in the same house. <laughs> we're all living in the same house. Therefore, parents need to view our problems as opportunities for teaching, for opportunities for training that will bring glory to God. Not just looking for any old means that will end this disruption of our happiness but we're looking we're taking a look at these opportunities to glorify God you see the right motivation is this it's found in 2nd Corinthians 5 9 we want to be pleasing to him that is to God so we must make our choices make each decision in each situation based on what will please the Lord not ourselves an example might be your child has disobeyed once again. And you know from scripture that you may need to spank the child. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. But the truth is you've done that already. You've done that already and you're not sure that it works. I mean, you've done it three times and it's not even lunchtime yet. So, in that moment, do you make your decision based on what works? Do you make your decision on what is most comfortable to you? Do you make your decision on relying on what your parents did? How do you make your decision? Do you make your decision on the easiest route out? Do you just cave in? Will you do what God says to do and therefore please him? Whether or not, and this is hard, whether or not the child ever responds to it. You see, your obedience to Scripture with the right motive makes you a faithful instrument in God's hand. Truth be told, the measure of biblical parenting, the true measure of biblical parenting is not the response of our children. It's not. James 1.25 says something like, the parent who does what is right in the sight of the Lord, it will be pleasing. It will be blessed. He will be blessed. That's applying James 1.25 to parenting. Pleasing God and glorifying Him is the most powerful motivation available, and it's the only motivation that produces hope and perseverance. We have a second motivation. Another important motivation to consider as we seek to biblically raise our children is pleasing God versus pleasing others. 
First, we looked at pleasing God versus pleasing ourselves. Now we're looking at pleasing God versus pleasing others. To parent faithfully or to parent biblically, we cannot allow ourselves to be motivated by a comparison with other parents. And that's difficult. That's difficult even here at North Lake Bible Church. Galatians 1.10, am I seeking the favor of men or of God? Colossians 3.22, separates man-pleasers from God-pleasers. And 2 Corinthians 10.12 says, those who measure themselves by themselves are without understanding. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't learn from other parents. I mean, the Smiths, they have a family devotion on every Tuesday night, so we're going to do it too. Or another family makes their children respond in a particular fashion, and that seems pretty spiritual, that seems pretty godly, so we're going to do that too. Or what about specific regulations with the television? What about specific regulations with education? The type of education that we're going to put our children through, whether it's public whether it's private, whether it's homeschool. What about specific guidelines at the dinner table? You know, manners are a, a great thing that the Lord has given us to show consideration to other people. But do we take those manners and use them as an opportunity simply to impress other people? To look at our children? To see how well-mannered they are? All of these things, all of these things that we've just discussed have the opportunity to be pleasing to God. They really do. But we must be careful to do the right things with the right motivations. Here's the point. Any of these may be good ideas, but we must be careful not to do good things for the wrong reasons. Problems arise when families compare themselves to other families in order to determine the right parenting methodologies. Even worse than that is believing that your particular methodology is superior to another and it's even more spiritual. That's a real danger that we run into. And why is that a danger? It's a danger because it's a serious issue of pride to create non-biblical standards, non-biblical standards by which we judge other Christians. This destroys the unity and the love in the body of Christ characterized in places like Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians. A third important motivation to distinguish is trust versus fear. Trust versus fear. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Hopefully this is still fresh in your mind. From our series in Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Rather than being motivated by the wrong type of fear... We want to understand what it means to trust God in all areas of our lives, including parenting. Some parents fear that without strict adherence to particular methodologies or you know, training, specific training in regards to raising up your children, they fear that their children might become failures. It's a real fear that your child might become a social outcast. Or it's a real fear without proper guidance that your child may forsake the faith. Many young Christian couples are new believers and they need older and wiser role models. And the church is supposed to provide that for them. This is supposed to be a place where we have that. Titus 2 encourages older men and older women to teach the younger people about family issues. So I say, you older, wiser saints, we need you. We need you badly. And we thank you for your wisdom and all of the knowledge that you have in regard to parenting. And we want to hear from you. I would ask you, if you're one of these older, wiser saints with 
much knowledge in regard to parenting, consider teaching partners. Consider teaching partners. Again, this is not to say that supplemental training and teaching on parenting is unnecessary. For instance, some children may have special needs. Some children may have unique health conditions. These, this, this can be a tremendous blessing of God to have older, wiser, godlier parents out in front of you who have navigated these seemingly unnavigated paths before. It's a blessing of God to provide that for you, to have that connection. Experienced parents who can help navigate this uncharted territories, but through all of this, through all of this, relying on other parents and their wisdom, through all of it, we must trust God. And trusting God means, one, that we study Scripture, to learn biblical principles for all areas of our lives. Trusting God includes asking questions that will help us be wise in applying those principles that we've learned. Trusting God also means we learn from older, wiser saints. It's all wrapped up. But in all of this, through all of this, we trust God to guide us and we look to him for the outcome of our choices. Trusting God provides hope in light of the fact that we often fail as parents, a hard reality that we face. We don't always make the best decisions in every single situation. However, we rest in the fact that God's will for our children cannot be thwarted by our mistakes. God's only requirement for us as parents is faithfulness. Scripture is sufficient to guide us even if we never have the opportunity to learn practical suggestions from other parents. God will guide us one way or another if we are seeking him first. So we must not fear, we must trust God. And how interesting the overlap there with our sermon this morning on the righteous person. We must trust God. God. We can study God's word, we can apply it with confidence and take advantage of help from anyone available, but the whole time we do it while submitting to the Lord's will, praying and trusting God. In addition there's, uh, to having the right motivation, parents are also challenged with keeping the right focus. Parents are challenged with keeping the right focus focus. I tried to go back and look and see where I had read this. But I think it might be Jeremiah Burroughs in the Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, but I couldn't find it. But somewhere, hopefully it was in a faithful place, it, it spoke of trials, or we could use the word challenges here as we're talking about, that trials are the arena in which our faith fights. If you think of the the old Roman Empire, right? And you guys supposedly think of it how many times a day or whatever, right? But you think of the Roman Empire and you think of the arena where the gladiators are fighting. It talks about our faith. Whenever you see a challenge, whenever you see hardship coming, even in parenting, if we can imagine that, okay, we're stepping into the arena, this is an opportunity for our faith to fight on behalf of us. Biblical parenting is not complicated. We'll do well to keep our focus on these three things as we go through. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40, Jesus gives us two great commandments, two uncomplicated, very simple commandments. One, love God. Two, love your neighbor. And if you contrast that, with Matthew 23, 4, where the Pharisees are tying up heavy burdens and they're laying them on men's shoulders and not helping them carry them. You see a stark contrast in the wisdom of our Lord. You see, parents like you and like me, we can easily slip into becoming a Pharisee. Even if it's unintentional, we can grow to desire additional answers than what the Bible supplies or requires. And out of fear and frustration, we fall to creating our own parenting methodologies, our own systems to follow. Or maybe we look to someone else's. After doing this, parents can gain a false sense of confidence by substituting a, a particular system that's put together for the day in 
day out, faithful, walk with the Lord, and applying what we learn in Scripture. Without the proper focus, it's easy to turn parenting into a much more complicated endeavor than the Lord intended it to be. And this can happen with many practices in the Christian life. For example, take uh, counseling, evangelism, prayer. These things can be taken, these uncomplicated things that the Lord has given us. And they can be turned into these very elaborate systems such that someone without a doctorate of theology can have a hard time understanding. But realize there is a difference between simplistic and simple. There is a very big difference between simplistic and simple. The simple character of biblical parenting is best understood in Ephesians 6.4, which we read earlier. And this doesn't mean that there are no challenges. There is a place for learning how to parent better. I'm hoping that we've all learned that, that we can grow in our ability to parent well. But here's the thing. The challenges that we face should force us to our knees. To not to rely on ourselves, but a simple dependence on God and his resources. A reliance on God and his resources for parenting because that is the essence of all of the Christian life. Whether marriage, work, finances, or parenting. A simple reliance on the Lord and his resources. But another focus that we must keep is that biblical parenting allows for a variety of ways to apply biblical truth. There's not just one way to apply what we're learning in the Bible. And when we're dealing with matters not specifically addressed in Scripture, we must be governed by love for one another and the ability to show deference for one another. Because here's the thing. If it's not explicitly outlined in Scripture, whatever is beyond Scripture is our opinion. It's our opinion. And we want to be careful not to Christianize our opinion and force our particular opinion on another parent. So, I want to take this opportunity to catch my breath and ask, what are some areas of such choices, and you can look in your book, but what are some choices where we can show love to one another, show deference to one another, in areas that are not explicitly outlined in Scripture of how to parent? Schooling. Schooling, yeah, like we talked about earlier. Each family is going to have to look at their family that God has given them to steward, their abilities, their resources, their desires, and make it a determination. Are we going to homeschool? Are we going to private school? Are we going to public school? Are we going to send them to boarding school? I mean, I don't know. Well, you're going to have to make the decision, and you're going to do that by applying biblical wisdom. But the moral of the story, it's not going to look the same necessarily for every family, and that's okay. That's okay, but we rely on the Lord and his resources. Believe it or not, one family may have different convictions than another in regard to these areas. Parents can consider practical suggestions, and I would suggest you do that. When it comes to education, when it comes to entertainment, when it comes to how your children dress, we should hear each other. We should give each other uh, an opportunity to express their opinions and their concerns and their desires. And we do that, but we differentiate between what is a command principle in Scripture and what is a suggestion application of a friend. A command principle versus a suggestion about application. And we can talk about what has been helpful in our own families, and we do that. But again, we don't Christianize, we don't canonize our own ideas if they're not explicitly outlined in the Bible for parenting. Lastly, when it comes to the keeping the right focus on parenting, biblical parenting does not involve quick fixes quick fixes and that's a hard one for me quick fixes rather than a series of short-term solutions that we just whip out like inspector gadget or something parenting is a multi-faceted relationship that actually lasts a lifetime our focus in regards to 
not involving quick fixes, if we're not focused on quick fixes, we're focused on perseverance. We're focused on perseverance. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. That should be an encouragement to you this morning if you're struggling, if you're experiencing challenges in your parenting. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. We persevere. A parental focus on persevering may look something like this. I will, I'm having challenges, but I will have to persevere in teaching my child. Parenting is challenging, but I will have to persevere with discipline. Parenting is challenging, but I will have to persevere in praying about this issue. Our focus cannot just be on instant relief of that irritating attribute or habit that your child has, because they got it from you more than likely. But do you seek quick fixes in your own life? It's so easy for us to apply this to our children because it's our own habit for things in our own life. Or do we take time to prayerfully get to the heart of an issue and gain a character victory that has the opportunity to last a lifetime? Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, I would like to read it to you. It's kind of long, but this is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see, a child learns little by little, day by day. And as parenting a child, we walk through things together every day, everyday issues. We're walking through them together, persevering. Family members should love one another through difficulties, be ready to forgive one another, looking for these opportunities to show grace. Because remember, we're not looking for quick fixes. We're looking for perseverance. We're in this for the long haul. We cannot lose heart in doing well, as Galatians 6 said. Even if you have to deal with an issue more than once, persevere. Be encouraged. You're building relationships that will last a lifetime. Efforts that will be blessed by God. Next, there is one more, actually, tricked you. One more focus that the parents should keep in mind, and that is the limitations of parental influence. The limitations of parental influence. Parents, we cannot control the outcome of our parenting, and that's the truth. The Lord controls that. Philippians 1.6 says that God will complete his work that he begins in us. Galatians 5.22 through 25 says the spirit is who brings about the fruit. Hebrews 4.12 says God's word is what is quick and powerful. When it comes to parenting biblically through challenges, which is what we're talking about today, our responsibility is to be faithful to do what we know is right. And just importantly, to do it with the right motives. We can't change our child's heart. Only the Holy Spirit can do that as he applies the word of God in their life in accordance with the perfect will of God. Parent, you need to live the word. And yes, you need to teach your children the word. But Romans 4.12 says, Each one of us, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Each one of us will give an account to God for himself. Ultimately, every person is individually accountable to God for themselves. Each person must give an account for their own lives someday. Children will not be able to blame their lives on the sins of their parents, on their parents' mistakes. They won't have an opportunity to do that. Both parents and children will give an account for their own actions. In addition to having the right motivation 
and the proper focus, the third and final challenge that parents face in parenting that we're going to discuss today is keeping the right balance. Keeping the right balance. Keeping balance applies to all areas of our lives, and it's easy to get out of balance if we're not in the Word. Watch out for staying in balance, especially in these areas, the external and the internal. Think of the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, don't commit adultery. That's an external action. But what did the Lord say? If you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. That's the internal. We want to balance in our parenting between the internal and the external. Some examples of this might be majoring on controlling a child's behavior without using scripture and prayer to deal with the heart of the matter. Ted Tripp, in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, which I believe is available in our library, and if you tell them, just put it on Drew's tab, I'm sure they would do that. But in his book, he says a parent can simply focus on external justice and fairness involved in a fight over a toy and simply decide how, do we, how would we simply decide that? Okay, if two children are fighting over the toy, what's one of the ways that we can just solve this quick, right? Who had it first? Who had it first? Or maybe we get out a watch and we just time. Okay, you get 10 minutes and you get 10 minutes. Now that might help a two-year-old who cannot think rationally, but children need to be patiently and lovingly taught to give up their rights. To give up their rights and not just to take turns. You don't want to train your child to become a Pharisee where everything looks good outwardly, but inwardly they're corrupt. Matthew 23, 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. As adults, they may grow up to have all of their yes sirs in place. They may use their manners at the table, but not know Christ. So we want to be very careful keeping a balance in regard to the external and the internal. And we don't want to confuse or equate adherence with external regulations with the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In one sense, external controls have little or nothing to do with the final outcome of our parenting. Many people whose upbringing was without a Christian influence have come to faith in Christ and now enjoy the privileges and usefulness of ministry. And a watch, watch out for a lack of balance for the external and internal, but also we want to balance between freedom and responsibility. Now with this balance, this means not giving up too much freedom on the one hand with no restrictions or responsibilities on the other. We don't want to give up too much freedom too soon in the child's life, okay? For instance, after school, the child comes home and you give him, the, him or her the ability to do whatever they want. Typically, they have some chores or some responsibilities, to animal to take care of, some dishes to put away. And that old landmine, you know, do you put the dirty dishes in the dishwasher or do you leave them in the sink? That's, that's a balance there too. But the child comes home, has this opportunity. You give them too soon the freedom to choose what they want to do. We'll recognize the child will often more than often engage in the activities that they enjoy doing. You know, playing a game, listening to music, rather than studying music or doing their homework or their responsibilities. Children need parental guidance to teach them how to have victory over our own selfish desires. A parent should allow a child more freedom as they exhibit more self-control and begins demonstrating this type of responsibility. Sometimes a parent becomes unnecessarily controlling or overbearing, not allowing the child an opportunity to fail. But wisdom shows that there's much to be learned from the value of making mistakes. But also, another balance to keep in mind is friendship versus authority. Friendship versus authority. It's a great joy to know that Jesus is our dearest friend and he beckons us to come 
and to pray to him and to know him and to fellowship with him. But this confidence that we have to approach Christ must never lose, cause us to lose our sense of awe and respect for him. In other words, we must not be presumptuous in any way in our relationship with him. Jesus is our friend. He is a dear friend, but he's also our Lord. In like manner, friendship is an aspect of this parental relationship that we enjoy with our children. I mean, we love our children dearly. And as they become older, they become peers that we do things with, especially when they get much older as time goes on. But a unique challenge for parenting biblically will be maintaining the balance between friendship with our children and authority over them. On one hand, we must not allow our children to progress to this peer-style relationship too quickly or we jeopardize the ability for them to understand the biblical requirement that they submit to their parents, to their authority, and to their teaching. On one hand, if we're heavy-handed with this authority, we may stifle progress towards that peer-style relationship that we do want to have, that lifetime friendship. An additional important balance to keep in mind, I believe the last one that we'll look at, is major issues and minor issues. If you've parented for long, you've come to determine that there are hills on which to die, there are major issues that we cannot compromise on, and there are minor issues that we don't overbear on. Missing this balance looks like straining the gnat but swallowing the camel, Matthew 23. It's easy to become overbearing on a majority of issues that are not clearly biblical. But we need to be more concerned with the child who pushes his brother to cut in line to wash his hands than we need to be with the child who washes his hands, but they're still a little bit dirty. Selfishness is a heart issue, whereas cleanliness might not be a heart issue. But parents must also understand the difference between parenting as the sole focus of the Christian life and parenting as an important aspect of the Christian life. As Christians, we should have a biblically accurate perspective of our priorities. That's that hierarchy that we learned, right? Christ is up top, then our spouse, then our family, then others, and raising our children is part of a grander scheme in the Christian life. As important as parenting is, it cannot be the central hub which around the rest of our life turns. We cannot let it become the central hub of which the rest of our life turns. It's one priority among many that the Lord has given us. And we must be consumed with all of our duties. We exist to glorify God in all that we do. And as we keep this eternal perspective, we keep it in mind, our role as parents will be kept in balance with everything else, all the other important duties that we engage in. Never let parenting consume you to the point where your whole life revolves around parenting. In summary, our goal as parents, which is to be faithful in applying biblical principles, that's the goal, applying faithfully, biblical principles it's not complicated but we face challenges in meeting this goal we do we face challenges and Christian parent you have real challenges ahead of you on top of that the world continues to provide more and more opportunities for these challenges to manifest themselves in new ways right new technologies new agendas We're not facing new problems, just new ways for these problems to manifest themselves. But these challenges should keep us on our knees so that parenting is part of our walk of faith. Parenting is a wonderful opportunity to trust in God. There's a few application points on the screen, and these are pulled right out of pondering the principles. Pondering the principles. I would say the first application point of what we've discussed today would be an evaluation, an honest evaluation. Maybe you and your spouse sit down and you take an account before the Lord of where you're at with your parenting. What is your motivation? 
Where is your focus? How about your balance? Are there things that we uh, are overbalancing, giving too much priority that maybe uh, are not as biblical as something else that we're neglecting, but an evaluation? Secondly, we come up with how we want to put off and put on the practice of Christian renewal, right? We put off sin, we renew our mind with Scripture, and we put on these new habits to walk in. Lastly, in my presentation, but there's more during the pondering the principles, would simply be to trust God. We face a lot of challenges as parents. Some of you know that better than even I do. You're further down the road. But we'll do well to trust God and not to treat parenting as a to-do list that we check off the box, but that day-in, day-out relationship with the Lord. I encourage you to spend time Looking through the pondering of the principles, I've gone long and we don't have time to discuss those here, but they're very valuable, so I'd encourage you this week to look those over. I'd like to pray and we'd be dismissed. Lord, what a great responsibility you've given us, Lord, to have and to raise up children in the fear and instruction of you of you the Lord Father we are inadequate to do that but we we find encouragement today that your word has not been silent on how you desire us to parent you've given us commands you've given us principles you've given us minds that are capable of rationality seeking to use wisdom for these nuanced areas of life the Lord today we specifically recognize that Parenting presents many challenges. But our trust is in you. Our trust, we pray, would not be shaken, but it would remain in you. So many ulterior solutions to the challenges that we face that the world would offer us. Some of them well-meaning. Father, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to submit our lives to your perfect plan and will for our parenting. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.